The gospel lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. It may be found on page 70 of the New Testament in your pew Bible. This is the story where Jesus is beginning to make his way toward Jerusalem and some of the would-be followers that come to him. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Today's Old Testament reading is the familiar story of the prophet Elijah being taken up to heaven by chariots of fire and Elisha assuming Elijah's prophetic ministry. Hear the word of the Lord from 2 Kings 2, 1 to 2, and then 6 to 14. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said again, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. As they both were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side 
and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of the fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his clothes and tore them to pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and the other, and Elisha went over the word of the Lord. In our postmodern, scientifically and technologically sophisticated society, it can be puzzling to contemplate what the Holy Spirit might be telling us through the colorful and dramatic apocalyptic stories in the Bible, like the one we just heard. Besides being a good read, what real message could this story about a prophet being lifted to heaven by chariots of fire have for us today in our modern world? To find the answer, let us enter this text through Elijah's perspective. In this story, Elijah is on a journey, a journey that is full of suspense and full of ambiguity. Although in earlier chapters, God told Elijah that Elisha would continue his ministry, Elijah's request reveals that he himself is not sure about his future. At this point in the prophet's story, Elisha is merely, merely following Elijah in the role of a faithful servant. Elijah requests that he will inherit a double portion of Elijah's spirit, which in the Old Testament refers to the legal right of the firstborn. In other words, Elijah asked Elijah to be his principal heir. 
although the prophet Elijah knows that Elisha will indeed be the one to carry on his ministry, he leaves that for God to reveal in God's own time. So they journey along, and Elisha remains in the dark about his future. We can relate to Elijah, can't we? We spend our lives on suspense-filled journeys. We try to follow the right path, to be faithful servants, but often we do not know where that path will lead. Will I get that job? Will my children complete college? Will the chemotherapy work? We follow God's call into an unknown future, like Elijah. The only guide we have to accompany us on our journey, our journey with God, is our faith. Sometimes the end of the journey is not what we had hoped. And sometimes it is more wonderful than we ever, ever could have imagined. We journey on in faith, and sometimes it takes time, and a lot of it, to be able to look back and discern the work of the Spirit in one's life. A wise member of this congregation said this week, that he is sure the Holy Spirit has been at work in his own life. But he has seen this only retrospectively. Perhaps you have had the same experience. On a societal level, likewise, every time we set out to right a wrong, to correct systemic injustice, we find ourselves plodding along on a suspense-filled journey, a journey filled with ambiguity, never sure how things will eventually turn out, or even if we will live to see the changes we work so hard to achieve. Think about Nelson Mandela and others in South Africa who set out to rid that country of the unjust rule of apartheid. During his 27 long years spent in jail as a political prisoner, Mandela continued his journey, earning a law degree in writing, not knowing if he would ever be released. Like Elisha, Mandela followed what he thought was the faithful path. Could he have imagined that one day he would win the Nobel Peace Prize or at age 75 be elected president of South Africa? Could he have known that as president, he would sign a new constitution for South Africa that established a strong, democratic, central government based on majority rule 
while still guaranteeing minority freedom of expression. Nelson Mandela set out on a suspense-filled journey, guided only by a sense of righteousness and a hope that justice would eventually prevail. Likewise, did 83-year-old Edith Windsor know what would happen when she first challenged the federal government's Defense of Marriage Act? As you know, she did so because she was forced to pay $363,000 in estate taxes on her late wife Sia's estate, a sum she would not have to pay had she been Thea's husband. Could Edith Windsor have imagined that her case against unfair economic discrimination would lead to an historic ruling that makes all same-sex couples equal as heterosexual couples in the eyes of the federal government? This was a long and arduous journey for all involved, and its outcome remained a mystery. That is, until this last Wednesday morning. So like Elijah, we, God's children, the famous and the not-so-famous, journey on, walk with God, not sure what the future holds for us or for our world. Elijah follows Elijah from Gilgal down to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, and finally from Jericho to the Jordan River. Elisha is tested along the journey. At each stop, Elijah tells his disciple to Stay behind, but Elijah refuses to leave. Elijah follows what he believes to be God's will. He follows God's call with no guarantee that God will respond. The story teaches that the journey is not an easy one, that our faith will be tested over and over over again. Nelson Mandela would have been released years earlier from prison if he had bargained with his oppressors, if he compromised his mission, if he gave up the journey. But oh, what would have been lost. Voices will always urge us to veer away from the path, to take that easy route. But you see, there was a purpose for Elijah's journey. In order for Elijah to be God's prophet, he needed to see firsthand the power and sovereignty of God. Fire in the Old Testament often symbolizes the power and presence of the divine. So the fiery tempest that lifted Elijah up to heaven is understood to be no less than God. 
the military symbolism of the chariots and horses of fire represent the celestial heavenly host, the armies of God that working through God's people can overpower any earthly force. You see, Elijah and Elijah lived in a world where powerful kings worshipped false gods and used oppression to maintain systems and structures that served their own needs. The leaders of Israel believed their own press. They were self-centered rather than God-centered. Their power was, in fact, like all worldly power, illusionary. Think about that. But for those around them, especially for those whom the kings oppressed, their power seemed very real. In order for Elijah to realize his call to prophecy, he needed to be sure that the God of Israel, his God, was powerful enough to transcend all the elements of the world, including its corruption. Likewise, the only way we can carry on the life ministry that God intends for each of us is to have faith that the power of God's redeeming and transforming love will give us the strength we need to continue the journey in spite of its challenges, in spite of its uncertainty. Now, what happens next in the story is rather surprising. When Elijah is taken from Elisha, when Elijah's mantle has fallen to the ground, when that whole magnificent pandemonium is over, when Elisha had indeed seen the vision that would seal his role as Elijah's heir, Elisha did not immediately test his powers as one would think. Instead, Elisha tore his garment in two and mourned. As many of you in this congregation have experienced, even when a loss is expected, we still need to mourn, to pause for a while on our journey, because such mourning gives poignancy to our future work and holds meaning for the rest of our lives. Eventually, though, Elijah did pick up the mantle and tested the powers that God had bestowed on him. He found that he could indeed part the waters. Now, in his new role as a prophet, he re-entered the world of human struggles to critique the structures that oppress, 
and be an instrument of God's justice. Note that Elijah did not know he had the gift of prophecy until, until he acted. So we too, individually and as a church, are first called to walk in faith and then to act. For it is only in the doing that we become the people God intends for us to be. We can never fully realize our full purpose, our call, if we sit on the sidelines of life and do not embark on that faithful, yet suspense-filled journey. In the end, we might not realize what we hoped for, the prophet's mantle, the new job, the cancer cure, the bill passed, the Presbyterian book of order being amended, or our candidate elected. On the other hand, like Nelson Mandela or Edith Windsor, we may live to see our seemingly impossible dreams and far-flung hopes become a reality. But we need to take that faithful journey. There are lessons to be learned and gifts to be received along that journey. At the end of the day, for many, regret born from inertia is worse, far worse, than the disappointment of trying and failing. In our personal and corporate lives, like Elijah, we will be led down ambiguous roads whose end remains unknown. But if we seek to do God's will, regardless of the outcome, we can rest assured that God's love and truth will guide us. And this love and truth is as powerful and magnificent as a chariot of fire. Amen.